0: In our Bibles, please, to the Book of Proverbs as we begin our study of Proverbs. Uh, the <clears throat> Book of Proverbs is not written in such a way that we can really uh, follow it in terms of verse by verse exposition as we like to do, but uh, we find probably the best way to study Proverbs is to follow themes. Since uh, themes constantly recur throughout the book, let me urge you to read the book uh, during uh, the fall. And as has been pointed out often, Proverbs has 31 chapters, and one interesting way to do it is to read the chapter for the day of the month and to do this uh, throughout the fall here. Billy Graham, I understand, reads uh, that way constantly. Uh, book of Proverbs has a lot of humor in it. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, my roommate and I were unmarried and uh, we would learn and memorize a number of these Proverbs and then we'd go sit at the table with the married students <clears throat> and he would sit at one end of the table and I would sit at the other and I would say, Jim, I was reading in Proverbs the other day where it said, golden ring and a swine's snouts like a beautiful woman without discretion. And, uh, He would say, Well, I was reading where it said, Better to dwell in the corner of a rooftop than a house shared with a contentious woman. (laughs) We didn't endear ourselves to those fellows, but uh, we had a lot of fun. Well, there's a lot of humor in Proverbs. Uh, It's a very practical book as it deals with the practical affairs of everyday living. Someone said a proverb is a tersely expressed deduction from daily experience. Uh, we have a lot of modern proverbs that we uh, all use. The, uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, and bird in the hand's worth two in the bush. Rome wasn't built in a day, and all of those. And they're very practical. You find yourself making decisions based on those things. You uh, you have a job, and you're thinking about another one that uh, might be the thing to do, and you say, No, a bird in the hand's worth two in the bush, and you make a decision not to leave your current one to go in the and the one that might not be as secure, and so on. Uh, uh, the fact that uh, these are tersely expressed deductions from daily experience wouldn't in and of itself uh, give them a place in the canon of Scripture, nor just the fact that they were written by the wisest man who ever lived. It says uh, that God asked Solomon, What would you have me to do for you? And he said, I'm just a child. I don't know how to go in or how to come out. And here I am, king over all this mighty nation. I ask that you would give me a discerning heart. Give me wisdom that I might know how to judge this great people. God said, because you asked that and didn't ask riches, I will give you that. And I'll also give you riches in long life. It says that there was none like him and none after him for wisdom. Uh, So... He's very wise, but that in and of itself wouldn't give it a place in the scripture. What gives it a place in the scripture is that we believe that Solomon and the several other men whose names are mentioned as you go through the book of Proverbs as writing some of these proverbs were guided by God in the expressing and writing of these tersely stated deductions from human observation. It wasn't just human observation or human wisdom. The pen was Solomon's, but the voice is God's. Now, we pick up why uh, the book is written in chapter 1, in verse 1 through 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety or discernment to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. The purpose of it is to give us wisdom, daily practical wisdom, to give the young, particularly, counsel, uh, godly counsel, to invest the young man with wisdom, the young lady with wisdom. And in the first seven chapters, you particularly have a series of parental counsel, a father's advice to his son. And he particularly advises him concerning dangers, serious dangers that he faces, what to do about these things. We'd like to just touch on a few of these dangers and uh, look at some of the father's advice to the son. Now, the fact that Solomon himself succumbed to some of the things that he warned his son about doesn't invalidate the counsel. It just shows how strong the dangers are that even Solomon himself, who gave this counsel, fell into the pit he described. The first danger mentioned is the danger of wrong companions. In uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, you have that danger described. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Uh, Their enticing of the young man had to do with getting gain. In verse 13, it says, uh, We shall all find precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. That's what they entice him with. Throw in your lot with us. Uh, You'll make it rich quick as they tempt him with gain by unscrupulous means. And certainly wrong companions can be such a tremendous factor in how our lives turn out, in which way we choose to go. David had another son, other sons besides Solomon. One of them was Ammon. Ammon had in his heart a wrong desire towards his uh, cousin, uh, uh, half-sister, I guess you would say, Tamar. And uh, as a result of this wrong desire, he forces her. And out of it, he is later murdered by his brother Absalom. Her life is ruined and so on. But an interesting facet of that whole evil undertaking is found in 2 Samuel 13, 3, where it says, But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And Jonadab counsels uh, Ammon. How he can carry out his desires, his wrong desires. Instead of rebuking him for them, he helps him implement them. Wrong companions. Jonathan had a number of sons, and one of them succeeded him, Rehoboam. Rehoboam didn't take his father's advice. You may recall that when Solomon died, well, the people came to Rehoboam, and they said, Your father was a very hard taskmaster. If you will lighten the load, we will serve you. If not, we won't. Uh, Rehoboam counseled with the older men, and they said, The people speak the truth. If you'll speak peaceably unto them, they will respond to you, and they will follow you, and they will serve you. Then he counseled with the young men that he'd associated with, that he'd grown up with, it says. And the young man said, now is the time for you to show who's boss, for you to assert your authority. Answer them roughly. And so he said, my little finger will be thicker than my father's thigh. He, he scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. As a result, Jeroboam blew a trumpet and ten tribes left the kingdom and set up a separate kingdom where the kingdom was divided from that point on. Awful results came out of this. As he listened to the counsel of his companions. Wrong companions, wrong counsel, terrible results. Uh, The father's advice in verse 15 of chapter 1. My son, walk thou not in the path with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. In chapter 4, you have counsel given similarly, and uh, he says it in a striking way there. In chapter 4, verse 14, enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of the evil man, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Total avoidance of evil men, of their companionship. That's the only safe approach. The reason? They pursue a self-defeating path. In uh, chapter 1, verse 18, they lay in wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. They pursue a self-defeating course. Don't envy them. You know, it's so easy to fall into the trap that David fell into. David says in chapter 73 of Psalms, Truly God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet had well nigh slipped. He said, I was in a very dangerous position, for I was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. You look at the man who doesn't walk with God, who does things in an unscrupulous way, his business practices, or a girl who is immoral. She doesn't follow the Lord's ways, and yet she's the popular girl. The man's getting ahead in business. He's making it to the top. And it's so easy to become envious of that. David said, the thing that saved me was when I went into the sanctuary of God and I got his perspective The long-run view. And I realize, truly, thou hast set them in slippery places. In a moment, they are cast down, overthrown. As for me, I'm always with you. Uh, You will guide me now, and afterward you will receive me up to glory. How foolish I was to envy them, he says. Solomon says here, don't envy them. In chapter 3, verse 31, envy thou not the oppressor. Choose none of his ways, for the forward or the crooked is an abomination to the Lord. Don't associate with men who are an abomination to the Lord. Don't envy men who are an abomination to the Lord. Now that ties in with the second danger, namely wrong goals. They had said, come with us and we'll get gain and spoil. Wrong goals. A man's life doesn't consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses, but most of the folks around you believe that it does, or at least they behave like they believe that it does. And behavior is the real test of what we believe. And all around us, constantly, are people who believe that the good life consists of material possessions, of making it to the top of the corporate ladder, of grabbing all the gusto you can. You only go around one time. I saw a little cartoon, and this fellow was at his doctor, and he didn't look too good, and the doctor was examining him, and the doctor said, Roscoe, you better give up the gusto. He said, you only go around one time, and you may not make it. (laughs) Well, The good life doesn't consist of grabbing all the gusto you can. And he warns him of wrong goals. Notice the father's advice in chapter 4 and verse 4. He speaks of what his father taught him. He says, He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. So, Let your goal in life be to get godly wisdom. Now, what is this wisdom that we're to just give everything to get? With all of our getting, get wisdom. One seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the wisdom he's speaking about is the true knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is a synonym for a true religion, a a proper awe of God, a proper respect, a proper love for the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord, biblically. Knowing him personally. uh, The fear of the Lord involves repentance and faith. That's how we come to know him. In Old Testament times, to enter into a personal relationship with God, you repented. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy unto him, uh, to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. You turned, you repented, and you brought your lamb. And the lamb, you would confess your sin over the head of the lamb, a spotless lamb. And then the lamb's blood was shed, and the lamb's blood was symbolically presented to God by the priest. That lamb's blood couldn't really atone for a man's sin, but it could picture the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's Son, whom He was going to send without spot or blemish, sinless, to die for Solomon's sin and David's sin and your sin and my sin. And the true knowledge of God has to do with realizing I'm a sinner and that God is holy. And that the only way a holy God can forgive sinners and enter into a personal relationship with him is through the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the death of Christ for our sins. And that if I'll trust in Christ's death for me, instead of trusting that God ought to accept me anyway, that I'm not as bad as he says I am, if I'll trust in Jesus Christ as my approach to God, and surrender to him, turn from my wicked ways, seek to live as he would have me live in my heart. If I will do that, then I have that knowledge of the Lord, that true fear of the Lord, that personal relationship, and he will change my life. Uh, he will give me a new heart, and so on. Uh, this, is, this is the essence of true wisdom that we are to seek. Now, you'll never find that. You'll never come into that personal Knowledge of the Lord as a trifler with God. You must mean business. Chapter 2 of Proverbs, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. You search for God like most folks search for money. You go after him that way, where you want him, and you're willing to pay any price to have him, and you'll find him. God says, you'll search for me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And the reason some of you are here present and You've been here before, maybe, and haven't found Christ, and your life is not changed, is you're trifling. You're not seeking God as men seek gold and silver. The reason it's so important to get that wisdom is because it is the true riches, that knowledge of God, that relation with him. In chapter 3 and verse 13, Happy or blessed is the man that findeth wisdom, the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver. And the gain thereof than fine gold, she is more precious than rubies. And all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Here is true riches, true life, verse 18 of that chapter. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Another reason to seek such wisdom, with all of our getting, is that it will keep us from the third danger. And uh, that's, that's the wrong use of sex. In chapter 2, verse 16 to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the God of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. How many strange women we have in our society today. It's incredible. Who would have believed 15 years ago That women would have thrown off the yoke of modesty and morality in the way that they have in our nation. Are there any strange women here this morning? That's a great danger. It's a danger to women to be drawn into that, a danger to the man. And over and over and over in this book that warning occurs. No wonder. Solomon himself stumbled so grievously in this area. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 9, But King Solomon loved many strange women. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord, which had appeared unto him twice, and commanded him concerning this thing. Well, Solomon's advice is still good. And uh, he says in chapter 5, Verse 8, to avoid it, he says, Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Be satisfied with your own wife if you're married. In verse 18 of chapter 5, Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. You say, well, my wife uh, is not so shapely as she used to be. Well, you not so hot yourself. <clears throat> uh, the crucial thing is to do it God's way. And he says, you rejoice with the wife of your youth. Verse 19, let her be as the loving hand in pleasant role. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. this illicit affair that you're entering into, would you do it in the throne room of heaven before the throne of God? No, you wouldn't. But that's where you are. The ways of a man are before the Lord, and he pondereth all his ways." It will destroy you. In chapter 6, uh, verse 27, it says, Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot colds, and his feet not be burned? So is he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife. Whoso toucheth her shall not be innocent. Verse 32, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. The fifth chapter, and the third verse, The lips of a strange woman drop his honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But, her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The word of God, his wisdom, will keep us from the strange woman. In chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thy heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall keep thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. As I study God's word, then in the ways of life, day in and day out, his word is talking to me, counseling me, warning me, reproving me. And verse 23 of chapter 6, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and the reproofs of restruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. It will keep us. Now, the fourth thing that he warns about is wrong attitudes. Wrong attitudes about instruction, about the very type thing that we've been talking about. Same verse that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Also says, But fools despise wisdom and destruction. We're either a fool or we're wise. Now, somebody quoted uh, this old lady the other day and said, she said, you know, a wise man can learn from a fool, but you can't teach a fool nothing. That's what he says. Fool to despise instruction. Are you a fool? Do you despise the kind of instruction that Solomon's been giving here or God through Solomon? Our attitude toward guidance. Do we think we can chart our own course and map out our own way? It says that it's not in a man to direct his own steps. Be not wise in thy own sight. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. D. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher. In London said that when he was a young man and he went out, uh, left his home, went out to make his own way, his father said, Son, take those two verses and live by them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Try to do his will everywhere where you know his will. He shall direct your path. And G. Cameron Morgan said, looking back over the intervening years, I know he was right. In them has been much failure, many turnings aside from the straight highway. All such failure, such turning aside, have resulted from leaning unto one's own understanding. The measure in which I have trusted Jehovah and acknowledged him have been the measure of walking in the paths of real life. His advice about instruction and our wrong attitude toward instruction, uh, wrong attitude toward Guidance, wrong attitude toward correction. When God corrects us for not walking with Him, in chapter three, verse eleven, He says that my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loveth, He corrected, either even as a father the son in whom He delighted. The Lord chastens and corrects, just as a father chastens his son. Don't take such chastening lightly. Maybe it takes the form of sickness. Maybe it takes the form of the loss of a job or some tragedy in your family. Not all trouble and tragedy is God's chastening, but some is. Don't despise it. There's an awful danger that we can Take it lightly and not respond correctly in humbling ourselves before God. When He does chase, it. He says, "Don't despise and don't grow weary of it. Respond to it." You notice this father's concern about his child. Boy, this father, as he wrestles with these things and tries to put them down, think about going home and just trying to write advice to your son of dangers to watch out for in life. Traps you've fallen into maybe. I've seen others fall into. He is concerned that his son get wisdom. What about us and our children? Are we concerned about our children knowing the Lord? Is that our great objective for them? Are we concerned that they make it to the top of the corporate ladder, that they have the right education, that they marry in the right circles? What are we really concerned about? Where are our values? I remember when my niece was in an accident, a tragic accident, rushed to the emergency room, in a coma, soon to die. Her dad and I Walked outside, and he looked at me and said, You know, at a time like this, just one thing matters. Did she know the Lord? Which she did. That kind of cuts through it all, doesn't it, in our objectives for our children. Are we doing as this father did and just seeking to wrestle with these matters and do everything we can to train up our children? in the ways of the Lord to place before them an adequate value system the true value system of God's word to tell them that the one true thing in life true riches is to get wisdom to get the knowledge of the Lord true wisdom to know him to walk with him are we saying that and are we communicating it by the way we live or are we saying one thing and communicating something else by our own value system Have I applied these things to myself? Do my children know what my values are? Do they know the place that God's Word holds in my life? The place that things of God hold? What what I'm seeking after? What I'm, with all my getting, seek to get? Growing in Him now that I know Him. Walking with Him. Seeking to do that. Is that my lifestyle? You oh, know, there's an awful passage in the first chapter if we don't respond. Look at chapter 1, verse 24. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not, all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. And this is the Lord speaking through Solomon. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Then shall they seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Isn't that a solemn passage? That you can send away your day of grace. You can refuse to hear God's counsel and then the day will come when you will cry out and he will not hear you. One commentator said there'll be those who refuse to respond to his instruction and then one day they'll say, Jesus died, but I'm in hell. Mm. Let's respond. Let's really search our hearts as to what we are doing with our children, what value system, what time we're spending, and with ourselves, how we're handling Our own value system. And if you've never personally responded to the invitation of God to come to Him, to come to His Son, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest unto your soul. Respond now. Let's have prayer. As our hearts abound, if you have never personally trusted in Christ, why not do that? If God has spoken to you concerning your children, uh, your approach to raising them, your value system that you're communicating to them, or if he's spoken to you about refusing instruction yourself, about responding to his chastening, respond now. And if you've never personally Receive Jesus Christ. Do that right now. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I do surrender my will to you. I know I need that fear of the Lord. And I come now and trust you to be my Savior. And I surrender to you as my Master. Come into my life. Amen.